welcome to another episode of YEGMS. First off, I want to thank you for for listening to the show, and, and the fact that there are people out there listening is the reason why I keep doing it. Today I wanted to talk about something that's indirectly related to multiple sclerosis. I want to talk about calories and I want to talk about food. For many of you who have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, you deal with a lot of fatigue, specificity, and that makes it, and, and mobility problems, and that makes it difficult to exercise regularly. So as a result, for, for, for many with MS, they struggle with their weight. Now, before I got, and the reason I want to talk about this is before I got diagnosed, and in my entire 42 years on this planet, I've struggled with weight. But I should also note that I've also been always been very active. Either weightlifting, playing hockey, playing soccer, skiing, snowboarding, cross-country skiing, mountain biking, pick up basketball with friends, and numerous other activities that have, didn't just immediately come to my mind. And I can remember throughout most of my life, I often wondered, because I would look around at my friends, at my peer group, and I was always told, diet, 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 diet. Now, I was always, you know, it was always stressed that diet. And I was always told that the way to lose weight was to restrict calories and exercise a lot. Now, I'm, I'm, I will preface this by saying you can lose weight by restricting calories and exercising more. That will work. But it's extraordinarily hard to do, and this is why. When you're exercising more, you need more energy, and you get energy from food. So how it's really tough to eat less food, take in less energy, but also exert more energy. And that's why people who diet can lose the weight, but they often put it back on. You've already, I mean, this is, this is news to anyone listening to this. I mean, we've all heard it before. But, it, you know, I would look around at friends of mine and I would think, hmm. You know, you go for pizza with buddies or you go for wings with buddies and you think, hmm. It's not like I'm eating more than them. And then I would see what they would eat at home and I would think, hmm. It's not like they're eating carrots and lettuce. And I always wondered why as a reason, why is it that I was carrying more weight and, and they weren't. And this really, really, really came into focus for me in 2014 and 2015. So when I decided to do the very first really long run to MM and MS, 
which for those who may be the first time listening, it's an event that I did in 2014 and, or 2015 and 2016 where I ran 85 kilometers in a single day, so two marathons in one day, to raise money for the MS Society. And I thought going into training for that, because I'd always been told, more cardio, watch your diet. More cardio, watch your diet. You'll lose weight. So the first really long run to NMS, I ran in the neighborhood of 1,800 kilometers in the 10 months preceding the run. And an average week for me, and how I know this is just from my watch that plugs into my computer and it just keeps a running tally of... and it. And my training schedule, which I remember quite, quite well, I would run six kilometers on Monday, 10 to 15 on Tuesday, six on Thursday, or sorry, Wednesday. I'd take Thursday off, run five on Friday, 40 on Saturday, 20 on Sunday. So on the weekend, I would do a marathon and a half math marathon. And then during the week, I'd run, you know, just add those numbers up. And I did this consistently for months on end to get ready to do 85 in a day. Now, did I lose weight? Sure. Not nearly as much as I would have thought. When I started training, I was probably just under 240 pounds. When I woke up the morning of the really long run, the very first one, I was 217. So what did I lose? 23 pounds. Which sounds all right. But I ran 1,800 kilometers and I was really watching, or at least I thought I was watching my diet. And interestingly enough, when I did it again in 2016, I actually worked with a trainer for the 2016 run. I ran it faster, but I was actually I was actually 224 pounds the morning of the second one. And that's after running in the neighborhood of 3,000 kilometers over the previous two years. And when people would meet me and if I would, when I would get interviewed and I would meet the reporter for the first time or I would meet anybody for the first time where they had any idea of what I was up to, I could see it in their face. And their face told the story. And it was pretty much, you are going to run how far? You don't look like a runner. They didn't have to say it. And it got to the point when I would talk to people and I could see the look in their face, I'd just call them. I'm like, look, I get it. I don't look like a guy who can run ultra marathons. They're, and the expectation, and my expectation was the same. And I thought the same transformation would happen for me too. I thought I'd be all vascular and veiny and skinny, and I thought for the first time since I was probably 16 years old, I'd be under 200 pounds, and, and I thought, finally, I'll get control of this weight thing. As it turns out, it didn't happen. Yeah, I got from 240 pounds to, you know, into the low 220s, but as somebody who's 5'11", that's still overweight. I was still carrying around a lot of 
extra fat. And I thought, how can this be? I'm doing exactly what, you know, you hear all the time. Lots of cardio, cut calories, watch what you eat. Now, my diet was uh, a paleo-style diet. Um, And at one point, I did try watching calories. I had an app on my phone. And the name of it, I'm just going to quickly look at, look at my phone and tell you what it is. Oh, no, of course, now I can't find Oh, my net diary. I had the pro version. And I still have it because I had to buy it. I think it was two or three bucks, but my net diary pro. And it's actually a really cool app. I've got no issues with the app, and it was really cool. And what it, what it would do is through the camera on your cell phone, you could scan the barcode of any product you were about to eat. So whether it was pasta or, you know, a salad dressing or mayonnaise or, and if it didn't, if it didn't have, you didn't have a, even the barcodes, like, you know, the things that wrap those little, the twist ties that wrap the top of carrots, they'll have a barcode on them. You could scan that. And if the barcode didn't come up as, it, it wasn't in the database, you could just manually type in, okay, half a cup of boiled carrots or, half a cup of white rice and it would give you roughly the calorie count and then you would input into the app what your current weight was your current height and then how much weight you wanted to lose and by when and then it would give you how many calories you needed to consume in a day and which you couldn't go over to be able to lose that weight in that amount of time and did it work to a point to a degree it worked I mean but impossible to stick to because you're hungry all the time. Like all the time you're hungry because you're not taking in what your body's expecting in terms of, you know, calories or energy, however you want to put it. And the reason why I'm telling you this is not to pat myself on the back for doing the really long run or anything like that. It's just to illustrate the point I'm getting to. And what I've found because, I mean, obviously after run, doing all that running and all that training and running these ultra marathons and, and not having the expected transition in body composition that I was expecting, I thought, okay, so, and then, you know, then you, then you didn't, people who struggle with weight, and I'm one of them, many of us, have default positions to explain away why we're carrying the extra fat. And I don't think that this is done for any other reason than, you know, with some people who are overweight, it makes sense. Every time you see them, they've got a bottle of, they've got a bottle of soda, like a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi, I mean, they eat really garbage food. They like to eat, eat, eat a lot of fast food and processed food and chips and, you know, whatever it is. And you go, okay, that makes sense that that guy's heavy or that gal's heavy, right? It makes sense. But then there's other people that you meet that are, that are active. You don't notice them. You don't know what they do when they're home or whatever, but you don't notice them pounding away at unhealthy foods. And I, was, I would put myself in that category. Now, were there times I ate unhealthily? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't get up to, I mean, 
you don't get up to 240, 250, 260 pounds, you know, <laughs> because you're just eating broccoli, right? I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, alcohol was a problem. Um, junk food could be a problem. And at different points in my life, sedentary lifestyle could be a problem. But again, when I compare that to, to my immediate peer group, they would all be doing the same thing. So again, it comes back to my initial point when I started talking, is I was wondering why do I carry the extra weight and that person doesn't? And back to what I was just about to say. So, you know, people that carry extra weight, we all have default positions as to why we're carrying extra weight. And you'll hear things like, well, it's my genetics, it's my metabolism, it's my X, you know, insert reason here that can't really be proven or disproven. But it's more a narrative for the individual to try and make sense, or at least it was for me, to try and make sense of why I'm carrying extra weight and that person isn't and that person isn't. So that aside, since since I got diagnosed with MS, I've been trying, and if regular listeners, listeners to this podcast will know, I've been trying to understand the disease, and I've been trying to understand what are things that I can do outside of what my neurologist sets out for me, whether it's meds and et cetera, to help myself be as healthy as I can be and to, to minimize the risk that MS brings to my life. That's how the paleo diet came into play. Um, you know, running came in from walking. You know, I, I, I think I've told this story before, so I'm not going to tell in great detail again. But when I, when I initially got diagnosed with MS back in 2007, I would have been about 260 pounds at the time. And my initial attack was pretty severe and being cooped up in the house for and basically in bed for three or four months, uh, when I was able to start moving on my own again, I started walking just out of sheer boredom of being in the house. You can only watch Seinfeld so many times. You can only, you know, listen like at some, I just needed to get outside of the house. So I went started going for walks and then those walks slowly turned into runs. And when I mean slowly turned into runs, when I started running, I could run maybe 100 meters without being completely gassed. Now think about it. Usain Bolt, right? Fastest man on the planet, even though he's retired. I don't think anyone's beaten his record yet. I mean, he runs 100 meters in what? 9.6, 9.7, something like that? Seconds? For me, 100 meters would be, you know, I don't know how long it would take me. Certainly wasn't even in 20 seconds, I mean, it would probably be closer to a minute and I would be completely out of breath. But anyway, those short runs turned into 5Ks, it turned into 10Ks, it turned into half marathons, which turned into the really long run to NMS. But even when I ran my first half marathon in 2009, 
I was probably 225 to 230 that day. Which for me, coming from 260, losing 30 pounds, I felt pretty good. You know, I'm, I finished the run. I mean, I finished the marathon. And I was feeling good just because I had accomplished something that I, after getting a diagnosis with like MS, I never thought I'd be able to do. Because when you first get that diagnosis, you're not thinking about running marathons. You're just wondering if you're going to end up if, if you're going to end up in a wheelchair. Am I going to have to walk up with a cane? Am I still going to be able to work? Am I going to be able to get married? Am I going to be able to have kids? Like all those things. You're not thinking about running marathons, right? So I was just happy that I finished, and I finished in a reasonable time. I think it was two hours and eight minutes, something like that. But I can even remember thinking back then. So what is this thing? Like I'm doing. You know, and then you, and then fast forward to 2014, 2015, that really long run to NMS. At some point, I'm like, I guess I just have to carry extra weight for the rest of my life because I, I guess I can't, I, I guess I can only lose weight to a point which is, seems to be around 220 pounds. And that's it. I guess that's just it for me in terms of losing fat. Because nothing else made sense. Absolutely nothing else made sense. Because based on what you hear around culturally, I was doing everything right. Lots of cardio, watching what I eat. Was I always perfect? No. But the cheating that I was doing didn't mesh up with how overweight I was. Right? I wasn't eating potato chips every day. I wasn't eating, I don't really eat candy. I've never really been a big candy guy. I don't really, you know, I, so those things weren't necessarily a factor. So the cheats that I did have, to me, didn't necessarily, it, it, it wouldn't follow that I should be as overweight as I was. And I wondered, am I ever going to figure this out? So last October, I think I've told the story before, we, we were running the, uh, the Grizzly Ultra Marathon in Canmore, Canmore, Alberta, which is a 50K run up and down a mountain in the Rocky Mountains. And um, my buddy Paul shows up, and I'd run with him about a month before, and we, we usually run that, uh, that run together. Actually, Paul just did an Ironman last weekend and finished it. So congratulations, Paul. Way to go, bud. Um... But we normally run, we didn't run this year because he was doing the Ironman. But anyway, he showed up, and I'd been about a month since I saw him last, and he noticeably lost weight. And he told me he started doing the keto diet. I asked him what the keto diet was, and I gave that a whirl. But when I started looking into the keto diet and what it was, and I'm not suggesting any of you listening go on the keto diet. I'm just taking you through so you can understand my thought process. Um, so when I started doing, or looking at the keto diet, I looked into it, and one, I, I wish I could remember where this quote is from. Somebody out, out, out there has heard it, please let me know, because I'd like to, to figure out where I, but this is not an original thought to me. Anyway, the quote was, had something to do with talking about the keto diet in relation to animals, and the example that was used you know how your dog can eat and eat and eat and eat, and as long as they're eating dog food, they don't, they don't get fat. You start feeding 
a dog people food. And they get fat. Start feeding dogs table scraps. They get fat. Then they start having, you know, then they can start having human like health problems. And for, for whatever reason, that really stuck with me. And I thought, huh. So if a dog eats dog, just eats dogs, food that's intended for dogs, their weight is self-regulated. I mean, dogs don't count calories. They don't sit there and go, hmm, I should probably only have half a dish of dry food and maybe just a little bit of wet food today. I really want to cut back. That's not what dogs do. They just eat. And when they're full, they stop eating. And their their weight's regulated. The only time we see problems with, with dogs, again, is because if, if, if they're eating people food, they gain weight. So that was a bit of an aha moment. But, you know, it wasn't, it, it didn't make, it didn't answer all the questions. So, I started with the keto diet, and for those who aren't familiar, you can look at it yourself. It's K-E-T-O, and effectively, you're, what you're doing or you're attempting to do is, you're, and this is so counterintuitive, so if you haven't heard of it, uh, you know, look into it yourself, but you're trying to take most of your energy from fat rather than carbohydrates. And you must, and a lot of people out there will immediately, they go, oh, what are you, fat? Like, you're not supposed to eat fat, heart attacks, this, that, and that. And it's counterintuitive. I'm not recommending the keto diet. I have to really, really strongly emphasize that, looking into it yourself, and if it's something you want to try and that you feel comfortable with, that's a, that's a choice you need to make. Anyway, so I started on it. And it was tough at first because, you know, you're cooking vegetables with lard. You're keeping the bacon grease. You're, you know, like all the stuff that you were never supposed to do, you're doing. And all of a sudden, the pounds just started melting away. So I started that last November-ish, and we're, it's almost a year now. When I started on it, I was pushing 230 pounds. As of recording this today, I am about 195. So I've lost in the neighborhood of 30 pounds on top of the, the weight that I lost from running. But the amazing thing is I haven't been running nearly as much. Even though I'm training, training for another really long run to NMS this coming uh, May, the May of 2019, I'm not even running anywhere close to as much. Yet, I'm losing more weight. So, as an aside, years ago, I had bought some clothes that were like goal. They were goals for me. One day, I'm going to fit into that pair of pants. One day, I'm going to be able to wear that sweater. And one day, I'm going to be able to wear that shirt. It's 10 years ago. More than 10 years ago. It was about 11 years ago. I bought them just bought those, those, those articles of clothing just before I bought my wife. My, bought, just before I met my wife, not bought. And um, I figured, I remember this, I figured at the, by the time I run the very first, I remember back in 2014, I thought when I run this really long run, I'll be able to wear those clothes. Wasn't able to. 
I wore one of the shirts yesterday and I'm wearing the jeans right now and they're comfortable. So when the weight started coming off, I started thinking, huh, is it possible that everything I thought I knew and everything I heard about diet was a, was a bunch of nonsense? Hence the reason for this episode. So what is a calorie? And it, there is some, there's growing research now. It's in its infancy now, and it's infancy, and it's by, by no means conclusive, but there is some growing evidence that the way we look at calories and the way we look at food might not be correct. Now, what's difficult about this is one thing that I've really discovered, because I've really kind of been focusing on diet and trying to understand it over the last year as, I, as I've been trying to make sense of what's happening to me. How I'm finding it easier to lose weight at 42 than I did when I was 32. I couldn't lose weight when I was 32. Now it's effortless. It's just coming off. And I, and I see people now and they don't recognize me. Or I get that look like, I think that's him. And I'll walk up, yeah, it's me. No, the funny thing is I don't see it. <laughs> you know, it's weird because when, you, when you're you and you see yourself in the mirror every day, I mean, I don't know that I look, I don't think I look any different. Uh, but I, objectively, I, I, I must because, I mean, the, the comments that, that, are, that get made to me. But yeah, I mean, you look at the way we've been taught about food and, and, and how, weight loss and what that is and how that works. I don't think we have the whole picture. And how this is, relates to MS, I was told by my neurologist that during my last appointment, because he was impressed with my weight loss, that the outcomes for people with MS are far greater. The less, I mean, you have a far better chance of navigating MS successfully if you're able to lose weight and 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 minimize the amount of fat that you carry around. Apparently, there's a correlation between MS success rates or people who are successful with their MS and their how much weight they're carrying. But here's what I've learned. Oh, sorry, here's what I think I've learned over the past year looking at this stuff. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's so different. And going back to when I was a teenager in my early 20s and, all, and always wondering why is it that I'm carrying more weight than others? And I think the answer to that, unfortunately, is not simple at all. I think it's far more complex than what most of us have been told. I think there's a, there's, there's a myriad of factors, and, I, and here's some of them. The microbiome of your gut plays a role in how you process food and nutrients. So if your microbiome is an unhealthy, your digestion is not, is not going to be as efficient. And on top of that, the way your, the food is broken down, if your microbiome isn't what it should be, 
it's possible that you're not getting the nutrients from the food that you're eating or you're getting a minimum amount. And it's my belief, now this is no way factual, this is just my belief, is the more research they do on the microbiome, I think we're going to learn in the coming years how incredibly important it is. Now, some quick tips about the microbiome of your gut. Um, you can help, you know, probiotics you've probably already heard of. You've probably seen commercials for them. Well, you don't need to take pills. You can get yourself some sauerkraut, not vinegar-based. It can't be the sauerkraut that's made out of you that's made with vinegar. The ingredient list should be water, cabbage, salt, if you look at the package. That naturally ferments, so it has natural bacteria, which can help replenish the microbiome of the gut. You can also get pickles that aren't made with vinegar, that are made with salt, if that's more your thing. You can also drink something like kombucha. Kombucha is a fermented tea uh, that now, amazingly enough, is, is it's easy enough to make at home, but you can also find it in the grocery store. Um, kimchi is another one. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fermented foods out there that you could sort of add to your diet to help to promote good gut health. Another thing to promote good gut health, you got to eat fibrous stuff, the, the really good fibrous stuff that, that good back, gut bacteria likes to feed on. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the microbiome, but just make a note of it. You can go onto your search engine. Uh, and, and snoop around and find other fermented foods that you can eat. So there's the microbiome. There is the, and there's your genetics. There's your activity levels. Another factor I don't think people give enough credit to with regards to weight loss is stress. Now, about the same time I started on the keto diet, I left my, the, the job that I was in at the time which created a tremendous amount of stress in my life. And now we're, you know, almost 11 months later since I've left that job. My stress levels are low. As far as work, my new job is, is, is a far better fit. So that's a factor. So your stress level, I believe, is a factor. Exercise, I, always mention, I already mentioned. The microbiome, I already mentioned. And another big factor is what you, you eat. But I have to put an asterisk here. Because of factors like your microbiome, your genetics, stress levels, how active you are, the food that works for me may not work for you. So I can tell you what I'm eating and you can try and do the exact same thing and you may not have anywhere near the same result. For example, let's say that between my genetics, my activity levels and all that other stuff allows me to pro process certain proteins and fat, fats in a way that's beneficial to me that it may not be for you. 
But this comes back to the whole point of this episode. And this is, I mean, this was a, that was a really, really long way to introduce it. But I needed to get a bunch of things in so you understand where I'm coming from. So what is a calorie? I mean, you always hear that. Cut your calories. Cut calories. Don't eat as much. Okay. Why? Think back to what I said about the dog. dog. If a dog is eating dog food, like good, healthy dog food, dog doesn't get fat. Dog doesn't count, 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 count calories. So what is it? What is this calorie thing? And I mentioned before, now there's starting to be some, a growing, some, some research and some growing, a growing uh, body of research they're starting to call this into question. So for the remainder of this episode, I want to highlight two articles I pulled off offline last week. They're not from academic journals, but I will leave the links to them in the companion notes to this episode on ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Just look for episode 42, click it, and you'll be able to go to the links to these articles that I'm re referencing. Now, the first one was an article titled, Are All Calories Created Equal? And it was from uh, NBCNews.com. And let me read you a quote from that article. It's nice to think that food is a level playing field, that there's just food, neither good nor bad. But you don't even have to scratch far below the surface to see that the science suggests otherwise. A strong case can be made that certain foods promote weight gain and increase the risk of a wide variety of health problems ranging from allergies to heart disease and certain types of cancers, while other foods diminish these risks. Now, I think that quote actually sums up really nicely in a, in a few seconds, what I couldn't say in 30 minutes. But that's what I found all throughout my whole life. It's just maybe, you know, I think I was eating a lot of the foods that were promoting weight, weight gain. But I, one thing I would, I would, I would challenge that, that particular quote on, I think it should, it should read, a, a strong case can be made that certain foods promote weight gain in certain individuals. So you might be one of those lucky people that can eat potato chips all day and it doesn't, doesn't do anything for it. It doesn't, like, doesn't harm you other than the, what junk food normally harms you. I'm talking in terms of weight. I'm not one of them. So I, I, just, I think it, when we're talking about certain foods, I think it's, it's, it's individualized. I think everyone's going to be different that way. So, for example, the, 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 I'm going to read a few more quotes from the article. And I'm just highlighting the, 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 the points that I found interesting. In another trial that estimated food intake, changes in lifestyle and weight fluctuations among more than 120,000 people. Over the course of 20 years, food patterns associated with weight gain emerged. People who, whose diets included more servings of potato chips, potatoes, sweetened drinks, and red, red 
and processed meats gain the most weight, an average of about 17 pounds over the course of the study. In other words, these foods seem to drive weight gain. On the other hand, some foods, including fruits, veggies, nuts, whole, grain, whole grains, and yogurt, protected against weight gain. Now that quote I find interesting because once I surf, now my, my current diet is still paleo. I'm mostly keto, but I find that keto, I, I still need carbohydrates from the amount that I'm running. You know, the problem with the keto diet for me is that when you really burn your muscles, you burn all the glycogen out of them. And the ketogenic diet doesn't do a great job of replacing that glycogen where carbohydrates do. So a couple times a week, I do have carbs just to get make sure I'm getting enough glycogen back into my muscles. But what I found interesting about that last quote is once I switched to keto, I don't eat, any, I rarely eat fruit because of the sugar content, but I do eat a lot of vegetables, uh, specifically cabbage, spinach, kale, a lot of greens. Uh, I do eat a lot of nuts. I don't eat any whole grains because I don't eat any, uh, I'm, I'm completely um, gluten-free. And I don't eat yogurt because I, I don't eat dairy. But I do eat a lot of veggies and nuts, like almost every meal. So I found that interesting. Here's another quote from the article. Low-fat or low-carb diet. At the end, sorry. At the end of the study, Neither diet proved more successful. Dieters lost similar amounts of weight on both, but different weight loss advice materialized. Both groups were instructed to up their veggie intake, cut down on added sugars, refine flours and trans fats, and select minimally processed whole foods whenever possible. Rather than focusing on specific calorie targets, Dieters were given advice on selecting quality foods, and with this advice, both groups lost a substantial amount of weight. Again, I find this interesting because on my current, since last November, and when I've had the most dramatic weight loss I've had ever, I don't eat any refined sugar. All my sugar is either from honey or maple syrup, mostly honey. You know, I don't... I never have pop or I never have, I don't even drink fruit, fruit juice. And I don't use any refined, I try not to use any refined anything and being gluten-free, that's easy not having refined flour because you're not using flour. And the fats that I'm eating aren't trans fats. So I, again, I find that, that, that really interesting. And the other thing I should know on my current way, the way I currently eat, I don't track calories ever. I don't care about calories. I don't pay any attention. I eat when I'm hungry. But the interesting thing is, once I switch my diet to what I'm doing now, I'm not hungry nearly as often. So. Okay, two more quotes from this article, and then I'm going to move to the next one. Uh, next quote. Over and over, research shows that certain foods lower the risk of disease and repeatedly the harms of refined grains, sugary drinks, and overly processed foods are documented in the studies. A newer area of research adds more strength to the case. The trillions of bacteria in our gut, collectively known as the microbiome, 
serve to strengthen our immunity and promote better well-being, but diet, as well as other factor, including medication use, can influence the diversity of bacteria species that are present. An imbalance of harmful spe species may increase the ri risk of obesity, memory, memory problems, allergies, type 2 diabetes, anxiety, inflammatory bowel disease, and more. I mentioned the microbiome, and I think that we're going to discover a whole bunch more about that in the coming years. Uh, I would recommend anybody looking into it, so at least you understand what's going on. You know, some researchers have even referred to your gut as, your, as a third brain because it's, it's made of neurons. So it, it's definitely something to be aware of. And be, also be aware of things like Tylenol, alcohol, uh, and certain foods can actually do some real damage to your microbiome. So, it, again, I find that really interesting based on what I've been doing for the last year. Last quote from this article. We're in the very early stages of understanding the microbiome and its role in health and wellness, but we do not know that eating, but we do know that eating a variety of fiber-rich whole foods from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds can promote good gut health. One study compared the bacterial species among different populations and found that a typical American diet which is notably low in fiber, is linked to a less diverse microbiome with imbalances in bacteria that may promote a wide range of diseases. Alternatively, enriching your diet with fiber-rich fiber -rich fare might shift these imbalances toward more health-promoting species. So if you're interested, I'm going to leave a link to that article on the companion notes. Uh, it's worth a read. Again, it's not a, it's not a, uh, this isn't an act from an academic journal. It's just an article on NBC News. But I found it very interesting because it, 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 a lot of what they were talking about mirrors what I've been experiencing over the last year. The next article I looked at was from the Daily Mail out of the UK. And it's called Not Obesity the Same. I'm going to read a few quotes and then I'll comment on them just like I did before. So here's the first quote. My own work, meaning the author, and that of my collaborators here in the UK, shows that obesity is more than just, is more than just some more fat under the skin. It is a true mod modification of our metabolism. And again... I highlight that, I, I read that quote, it's, it's short, but just to highlight what I was saying, I think it's different from, from everyone, and depending on a number of factors, you're affecting, you know, your, your, your metabolism gets affected, which is why, you know, Joe down the street can eat a Big Mac once a week for three years and not see any additional weight out of it, where other people... You know, one Big Mac once a month, month, maybe this, I mean, who knows, right? But it's different for everyone. Here's a second quote. My colleagues and I, obviously the author, my, 
My colleagues, colleagues and I undertook this project because we recognize that there are many types of obesity. Each one has different consequences for each person's health. This is what we call disease heterogeneity. If we understand heterogeneity, we can personalize obesity treatments, hopefully with more success. And again, this is speaking to what I was talking about. And it's an in, this is going to be different with everyone. So this study, they I mean they studied 2,500 obese people, and they sequenced the entire genome of each study participant. And by study, and when they when they studied it, they analyzed more than a thousand blood chem chemicals or metabolites. They called that the the collection of metabolites. They were now referred to it as the metrobolome, metabolome. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, so if I butchered it, I apologize. So what they found is your weight dramatically affects your metabolism. So isn't that interesting? It's not, it's not the metabolism affecting the weight, it's, it's in the reverse of what I would have thought. Maybe you would have thought differently, but that's what I would have thought. Now here's another quote. A second and fundamental observation was that the metabolic alterations carried more health consequences than, mere, than the mere physical aspect. Some of the participants had what we labeled as an obese metabolome, despite having normal weight. So even though they had a normal weight, these thousand chemicals and thousand metabolites that they, they were measuring in these people's blood, there were profiles that more, were more correlated to somebody being overweight, but just because you have, but you could still be somebody with a regular weight, but you would have that metabolome profile of somebody who was overweight. So, uh, you know, to sort of conclude the, the, talking about this particular article with one more quote. Physical obesity was important, but how the ex excess weight uniquely affected the inner workings of each individual was a more accurate measure of overall health. So, I mean, that just tells you how why it's important to get a handle on your weight. But it's not going to be easy. Because I don't think any dietitian out there, and, and no, no offense to dietitians, but most of them have sort of a generic plan that they put people on with, very, with, with subtle variations. Or they might you know, put you on a calorie-restricted diet. I think the best thing to do, and again, this is my opinion, is start doing an elimination diet. And see what happens when you pull certain types of foods out of your diet. And whether or not that has a positive or negative impact on, well, most importantly, your overall health. But secondly, your weight and how much fat you're carrying. Because I found for me, the second I pulled out grains across the board. 
So when I say I'm gluten-free, I should just say that I'm grain-free. I don't eat bread anymore. I rarely have pasta. Rarely. When I said I had, you know, I have a little bit of carbohydrates throughout the week, that might be a cup of pasta here, or um, might be have, have a little bit of potato there, but it's just to get enough carbohydrate in to make sure that I'm not that I'm replacing that glycogen in my muscles. And that seems to work well for me. But I also know other people that when they are full keto, they're fine. They don't seem to, to, to struggle that way. My wife and I are similar that way. She, because, you know, we're married when we, you know, we eat the same food. She went to the gym last week and she, I don't know, she probably did, I don't know how many squats she did, but her, she burnt her quads pretty good. And she was grouchy. And then one night she came home and I like to make my kids noodles at night. I don't have them, but, you know, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And my, my philosophy around dinner time is make it healthy, but make it fun. And noodles, seems to, they seem to fit the bill, right? And Andrea came home. She hadn't had a lot of carbohydrates at all. Ate the noodles, and then within probably an hour, she was back to her old self, and she said, like, those noodles saved my life. She was exaggerating, of course, but she said, the noodles saved my life. And I said, yeah, you, you know, you, that makes sense. You know, if you're like me and you can't go full keto and you still need that little bit of carbohydrate just to, you know, just to give your muscles a little bit of, of juice or whatever, um, that seemed to work. It worked really well for her. So when I'm talking about an elimination diet, it's, it's not do what I do. It's to find out to do what you need to do what you do. What foods are going to work for you? Because once you figure out that magic mix... You know, the, the way it'll just start coming off. Exercise, regardless of exercise. And then there's all the added benefits. How much better you feel, how much more energy you have. Um, the impacts on your outlook, on your, your mental health, on your relationships, on your work. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty profound. And... It's definitely something to look into. And as, as, as with everything that I mention on this show, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just some idiot on the internet talking into a microphone. This is stuff that you need to investigate on your own. Do the reading. You know, if you're, there's tons. Of, I mean, we live in an age where there's just so much information out there if you know what to look for. You know, I would learn about your 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 microbiome. I would learn about um, any of the different things that I've talked about on this show. Have a look at it. See how that fits into your life. See what see what changes you can make. But then and then, but don't expect it to happen overnight. You know, if you eliminate grains for a couple, and 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 also you can't just eliminate stuff for a day or two. And go, oh, that didn't work. I, I didn't eat bread for two days. I, you know, I'm still overweight. It's not how it works. It's a gradual process over time. But once it gets moving, I can tell you, like, when I started on keto, I probably lost 10 pounds in the first month. 
doing nothing else other than just changing my diet. No extra exercise, nothing. It was just boom. And now it's probably 30 pounds overall. And I'm actually starting to feel like I'm starting to look like a guy that people go, maybe that guy can. I still don't look like an ultra marathon runner. Not at 5'11", 195 pounds, I don't. But I definitely think I look like somebody who going, yeah, he might be able to do it. Even though I can. But if they first met me and they didn't know my story. And the reason why I'm sharing it with you, because I'm sure there's people listening to this went, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been trying to lose weight for years. And when I try and go on the calorie-restricted diet, I'm always hungry. I don't feel very good. And then the weight just comes back anyway. Like, it's not sustainable. I've been eating this way now for almost a year, and it's really sustainable because, I, I mean, I'm not hungry. I'm not counting calories. I'm not skipping meals. I still have a snack at night. Like, this has been... It's been easy to do once I got through the first few weeks. Now, for those of you listening, and if you haven't listened to any of my other uh, stuff I've talked about with, with, with regards to the keto diet, I will warn you about one thing. If you, if you look at it and you think, you know, that's something I want to try, one thing I got to warn you about. If you're a carb junkie like I used to be, because this is what keto is, it's shifting your primary fuel source from carbohydrates to fat. And it's actually, you can go to a health food store and you can get strips and it can tell you, it can, and you can find out when you're actually in a state of ketosis. And that means that your body's powering itself through fat and not carbohydrates. When you're making the switch, when your body's making that switch from carbs to keto, there's going to be a day or two where you feel like death. Absolute death. Some, some call it the keto flu. For me, it was 24 hours. I know my sister went through it, and it was about two days for her. <clears throat> and what that is, it's basically, this may, may, may sound extreme, but this is actually how I think about it. And this is my opinion. This is my opinion. It's not a fact. It's your body's addicted to carbs, and you're kicking the junk. That's, that's what I think that is. So if you look at keto, do and, and know that if you do feel like death for a day or two, it's working. It only happens that one time. It's not like that keeps happening. Um, and once you're adapted, you're fine. You're off to the races. But, uh, you know, do be aware that if you're, doing it, if you're doing it right, that likely will happen. And you should be aware of it. So that's that's what I wanted to say about calories and food and, and, and weight loss. I hope you hope you find that helpful. As I mentioned, all the uh, the links to these two articles will be on the companion notes on ownmultiplesclerosis.com. In closing, I want to let everybody know that the uh, YEGMS podcast is now available on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Radio, iTunes, Tuned In Radio. Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Spotify. So, and well, it's also on YouTube as well. So if you, depending on how you like to consume your media, I think I got them all covered now. If you're a Spotify user, you can find it there. You're an iTunes person, you can find it there. Uh, obviously, if you're an Android user and you don't like Stitcher Radio, now you can find it on Google Podcasts. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere 
It's like American Express, right? It's everywhere you want to be, right? <laughs> um, and I should note for, for people who are actually listening in Edmonton, and which is weird, most most of the audience now is outside of Edmonton, and most, most of the audience is outside of Canada now, but for those, those listening in Edmonton <clears throat> or the greater Edmonton area, uh, we've started meeting to run to sort of support runners and that who wanted some help getting training going to, to help me out with a really long run to NMS. We started meeting every Sunday at 11 a.m. in Horlack Park at the very, very first little parking lot as you come in the park gate there. Um, last week, it was just me and Denis, and, but I think this weekend there'll be about five or six of us. If anybody out there wants to meet, and wants to join us, it doesn't cost any. You can just show up, say hello. And last week we did a very leisurely 5K run. Uh, I want to stress that, I have to stress to everybody who's coming out, you don't have to maintain my pace. I've already done my training for the week. This is a fun run for me. It's it's slow. It's more just to build some camaraderie, get some exercise, blow off a little steam on a Sunday morning. So if you want to come out to that, please do. 11 a.m. Sunday, Horlack Park. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you want to be a guest on the show, you want to ask questions about anything I've talked about, you want to tell me I'm a moron, whatever it is, send an email to Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ownms.com1. That's O-W-N-M-S-D-O-T in the number one. You can find the Own Multiple Sclerosis Facebook page on Facebook, the really long run to end MS page on Facebook. If you want to donate or be a part or find out more about the really long run to NMS, you can either visit my website, ownmultiplesclerosis.com, or you can head to the really long run to NMS.ca page. It's up and live. I think we've raised about 250 bucks so far. Uh, that'll dramatically increase as we get closer to the run in May. But you can visit there to learn more about it, maybe maybe donate. I don't really care if you donate a dollar or $100 or Whatever you can afford, it's all greatly appreciated. The proceeds go to the MS Society of Canada. I don't touch the money. It goes directly to them. So, Anyways, that is the show for this week. Uh, I look forward to hear, hearing from you, and we'll talk to you again real soon. <laughs>